This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abu-Al-Samad from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. And of course, you can all you can find us all on uh, Car Review Tweets as well. Um, I've seen all of us have been posting some stuff. Every now and then I'll check the account and I'm like, oh, we posted. <laughs> There's new, cool. new stuff, yeah. <laughs> So that's good. It just seems that, um, you know, people like the, the sort of short, uh, snackable format. So that, yeah, that's the, good. The, the opposite of what this show is. Yes, absolutely. Well, we, we'll keep it tight. So let's move well, on. Well, we, we consider this now. a gourmet meal. So you have, right. your, you have your snacks, right. when on car review tweets, and wheel bearings is the gourmet meal. The gourmet yeah. and, the, and the, we 12, have, the 12 um, course, you know. I was going to say we have courses. In, you know, Italian meal that runs into the, you know, two o'clock in the morning. Mm. And now that we're we're at Christmas, this is uh well maybe not quite the seven fishes yet. That'll be after New Year's. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the appetizer course. Uh, <laughs> Sam, uh, we'll just jump into your cars because they're the top of the list. Uh, you're driving the 2020 Volvo V60 Cross Country. Yeah, since we last recorded, I've had a couple different cars. I was I spent a week with the uh, the V60 Cross Country, and uh, my my faith invokes in. Um, Station wagons uh, is definitely reaffirmed after driving that thing. Um, I still love station wagons, even if they are sitting too high. Uh, but I'm I'm still a big fan of wagons, and particularly the V60. Uh, you know, I, you know, I I like the the S90, but for me personally, you know, it's it's a little bigger than I would prefer. You know, unless I was you know like back in my high school days when you know we had to haul around engines in the back of my shop teacher's. Uh, um, you know, 71 Dodge Monaco Peabody. wagon. No, he had a oh, seven, Monaco, 71 yeah. Monaco wagon. I mean, that thing was ginormous, had about 16 feet of rear overhang. You know, you could, yeah. you could fit a Hemi in the back of it. Um, and we, we regularly <laughs> use that for runs to the, to the scrapyard to pick up parts for the cars we were working on. But, um, so it was just the fact that the fact that you had a shop teacher and you had a shop class and you would work on cars none of that is none of that exists anymore i know it's it's, it is it it is truly tragic that you know it's it's almost impossible to you know find you know an auto mechanics class in a high school anymore you know and you know i i'm a huge supporter of education you know i I think you know it's it's enormous public education is enormously crucial to the to the health of our society you know but the reality is not everybody needs to go to college you know, I mean, there's a lot of things in society, a lot of jobs that need to be done that don't require a university education, but do require education. And I think we, we, you know, it's, it's tragic that we don't have enough vocational education in this country. Um, you know, and some, you know, a lot of it is available like through community colleges and stuff. And I, and I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that, you know, are looking that want to get good jobs should really be looking to community colleges for, you know, things like, Mechanics, um, you know, plumbing, electricians, you know, all there, HVAC, there's there's all, yes, there's an enormous stuff. number of jobs that cannot realistically be automated. Dryer repair that people can be can can be yes, <laughs> yeah, that can right. be that can be good, well paying jobs. <laughs> you know that you make a decent uh, living at. Um, you know, you don't. Not everybody needs to be a Silicon Valley billionaire, um, hey, you know, or look, a coder. You know, like, you know, we we don't need to have an entire country of coders. You know, we don't need yeah, three hundred million yeah. coders. You know, but we need people no, to fix stuff. That. And that, well, and the, the thing that I've realized and that I, I wish I had, uh, in some ways, I wish I had, had gone into a trade earlier was um, those rich people, those Silicon Valley tech bros, they're completely useless when it comes to like holding a screwdriver or using a <laughs> wrench. Yeah. And when their giant mansions have, uh, you know, a problem, who do they call? They call 
the blue collar guy. That's right. And and do you, have you seen what plumbers drive lately? Like, the, you know, pretty nice cars, like mm-hmm. Raptors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and like some of it is like you can write off the business expense, and I get that too. But uh, you know, really, really good trade folks are. I mean, they are the heart of the nation. Yep. And I got us off track, so I'll get us back. <laughs> That's on gonna be so much for a tight show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we haven't done one for two weeks, so, you know, I think yeah. it's worth a tangent or two. Absolutely. Sam's got it all bottled up. Um, but, so, I mean, but, in, in, anyway, the V60 is a, it's, it's a good wagon. Yeah, the but, V60 like, cross country, you know, you take the V60, you jack it up an inch, inch and a half, something like that. You know, put some uh, cladding on the wheel arches, you know, and make it sort of semi-pseudo SUV-like, you know, like like a Subaru Outback. Um, but it's still, it's still a Volvo V60, and, you know, that makes it genuinely a, a, a lovely car to spend time in uh, it is very posh you can't really get an engine in there unless it's like a uh, you know a 12a rotary or something yeah. one of the things um, i mean <laughs> one of the things that i i like about wagons as well is first of all they're ju- they're so easy to get in and out of and they still give you a lot of cargo space they still and i know you don't like how high they are starting to ride but i think there's such a good balance between that SUV of which some of those H points are like at my chin and, and just being able to load and unload quickly, easily get it, you know, let your dog can get into yeah, it. Your get kids. your groceries, get your groceries right. in and out, you know, get your dog in and, and out. And then access to the know. roof as well. You know, that's, yeah, absolutely. I remember on the Buick uh, Regal Tour X launch, that was one of the things that they commented on was that, you know, the vehicle was actually, it was so much, there was a lot of utility there. Because you could easily access the roof as well. Yeah, I mean, our last two family cars before the Civic that we have now were both Volkswagen station wagons. We had a Passat uh, wagon, a 2000 Passat wagon, and then a, t- a 2010 uh, Jetta wagon, you know, and they were they were lovely cars. You know, it's the beauty of it is you get the driving dynamics of a car. It feels like driving yes. a car, but you have this big extra space in the back and a big opening in the back to put stuff in, you yeah. know? So if you like to go to, uh, you know, estate sales or, you know, if you want to go camping or, uh, you know, go skiing for a weekend, you know, you, you're not, you're not playing Tetris trying to get your stuff into the trunk of a car, you know, or trying to heave it up into the back of a suburban or something, which we'll talk about later. Um, you know, it's, it's really easy to use, and, you know, I guess, you know, the, the extra, you know, inch or two of ride height that you get in something like the, the V60 cross country, um, you know, gets, you know, does make it you know, a little easier to slide in and out. You know, the, the H point is a little bit higher, but not so high that you don't need, you know, big running boards and a handle on the, on the A pillar <laughs> to grab onto, to heave yourself up into the seat. You know, you just sit down and it, and it you know, it feel it's very comfortable, you know, and as we've talked about on numerous occasions before, Volvo's, you know, aside from the census infotainment system, are are a genuinely wonderful place to spend time. They have very comfortable seats. They're supportive. You know, um, you know, the the materials are, it, it looks great. Um, you know, everything feels really good. You know, and it, it's a premium car, so it you know all that stuff should be should be true, and and it. it it is, you know, and it has a, you know, this one has the, had the, the Bowers and Wilkins premium audio system, which sounds great. That's, that one's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's not an inexpensive car, but, you know, when you look at it against its competitive set, you know, cars like the, the Audi A6 or I guess, it would be, no, I guess probably the A4, um, you know, BMW you know, three series touring. Hmm? Would you go with the Audi Allroad? 
on the V6? Uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The all roads, the various all road models. You know, if you if you compare it to the to that competitive set, you know, it's it's reasonably priced. It's not outrageously priced. The base price for the V60 uh, cross country. You know, this is the T5, so it's the turbocharged two liter, two hundred and fifty horsepower. You can also get the T6 that adds a supercharger and gets you over three hundred horsepower. Um, but uh, the base price is forty five thousand. Uh, the one I drove was pretty much loaded uh, with, you know, at, at fifty seven thousand dollars, just shy of fifty seven thousand dollars, including destination charge. Uh, you know, it had a lovely uh, metallic paint finish on it, a white finish. Um, yeah. Did it have the brown trim? Uh, the brown interior trim. No, like I'm sorry. Like so, the last one I drove sort of had like uh, it was like a white metallic. Oh, um, the the cladding, you white, mean? And then it had like brown accents on the exterior. Yeah, yeah, it did have that. Um, and man, is that a good looking? It, car. it is. It's a fantastic looking car, you know. And I think I, I would personally say I think the V60 is probably the best looking car Volvo makes right now. Uh, you know, I think it has fantastic proportions. And it's oh, just, I love you know, that a, XC40 though. It's so cute. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the XC40 is but, adorable, but, but the V60, you know, is is more elegant. It's beautiful. I think it's a beautiful car. Yes, the XC40 is. Yeah, cute, no, it is. Uh, but but the V60, you know, just has that elegance to it. You know, and with the current uh, Volvo design language, it all just works really well with that shape of that car. Um, I really like the um, the the detailing on that design. Like, if you look, it's not just. Uh, it looks like they put a lot of thought into yeah. it. Even the like around the the rear, so where the 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 um the rear quarter panels transition into the back of the car, there's a chamfer around the whole back of the car. Yep. Like it, it's just it's one of those like little things that you just notice and you just kind of look at it like, huh? They they actually went out of their way to do that. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> well, I drove that. A real I drove it this summer, and I remember. I you know I have issues with some of the Volvo transmission, right? Like they. There was just something I didn't love the way that it shifted, but but the last two that I've had, I haven't had that same feeling from. So I don't know if I'm just getting used to it or if they just they're just a little bit of an adjustment there. But I'm becoming more of a fan because I didn't love it at first. I remember uh, maybe you got one that was abused by the press. And abused just, by the press? No, that, that never, never happens. Never ha- what are you talking about? <laughs> Shut your mouth. But there, so, so I agree with you, Sam. I really like the the, the V60, I think, is a, a really uh, great offering from Volvo. I think it's it's the middle of their range. You know, it does all of the things that the big ones do. It does, it's a tidy size. It's easy to drive. And it's a, it's a better we, size, I think, than the last generation V60, which, you know, for its segment really was had a very cramped back seat. It was on the small size. Yeah. And this one I think but is just this, right. This one, yeah, it's it's a little better, but you still like, so Volvo, and like, I don't mind the extra, the ride height, because it's kind of putting the Volvo wagon back where the Volvo wagon was. Um, you know, my, my 240 was, it had a lot of ride height, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was, there was a lot of space between the wheel and the top of the fender. Uh, so like, even as the pseudo SUV thing, it's just kind of sort of bringing them back up to where they had been. Um, to a degree, they're not really super high, and you don't really pay for it dynamically. So it's still yeah. really good well, to drive. And, and there, you know, there is an off-road mode on this one that actually does lift it up a little bit higher. You know, I mean, oh. not that you would ever, you know, really take a car like this off-road, but I guess not on purpose. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's different drive modes. You know, so there's the comfort mode and the normal mode, and the the off-road mode. 
But I was just disappointed by the cargo space behind it, like the, the you know in the, in the actual cargo area. It's 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 good, but it's it's not as good. I don't think maybe it's just my perception, but I think that the Jetta wagon is actually larger. Um, uh, in in overall cargo space, it, 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 it may be. Like I think it, I think it may be a combination of the the cargo cover that they have on there. And then there's, you know, there's a fair bit of intrusion from the sides, you know, for the wheel wells. Cause I think there's stuff, you know, electronics and stuff stored in there and the subwoofer, things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think it's a good size, you know, and, and the beauty of a wagon is, um, you know, if you do need to carry larger stuff, you know, you can pop those back seats down and you actually have a, a really large space back there. Um, you know, with a flat, typically a flat load floor like this one has. So I think, I think it, you know, it can work out really well. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's more wagony than anything. There's, there's, I want more wagon options because there aren't as many. You know, it, it competes with, what does it compete with? It, it, there's not, there's the Subarus, but they're sort of like a price class down, right? Right. And there's, there's Mercedes, but they're a price class up. And, so, and there's, there's Audi. And, I guess well, uh, and Volkswagen, you know, would, you know, which you know, is more in the Subaru price class, you know, they still have the, uh, the all track, uh, although I think that may be going or so wait, Sam. The stand, the standard sport VW sport wagon is going away, but they, I think the all track is sticking around. So Sam, I found yeah. the the sticker from when I I had the Volvo T5 all wheel drive cross country. Is that yep. different? Is that what you had as well? That's that's the same okay. thing. Yeah. So that one, and I apologize. I I was looking back at my schedule. I actually had it more recently, and I don't think I've talked about it on the show because I had a much better experience with it than I did with Volvos that I've had. And, and so maybe the earlier ones, as we talked about, were a little bit more abused. <laughs> um, but I also, but yeah, so that was, uh, I think I actually had to drive it in some bad weather and it was really sure-footed. Like it was, I, I didn't miss the height of the SUV. You know, like I felt like I was actually almost more secure because it was a little bit cold. It was a little bit slippery. I was driving to the airport and it actually was really, really well behaved. And it was so nice looking on the road. I told you, yeah, you know what? I think I had it after. I don't think I've been on the show since I've had it. So I apologize. I got my date, dates mixed up, but it's a really good car. Uh, if you're going <laughs> to, yeah. yeah, if you're going to mix up dates, this is the best way yeah. to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you wait. I thought we went. I think all of us really like them. Yeah, and and you know this thing's got a lot of you know the, this particular one had a lot of nice features in it, like the uh, <clears throat> the cross country pro package, you know, which gives you four zone climate control, um, you know, four way uh, uh, power lumbar for the for both front seats, not just for the driver's seat. Um, the you know the nineteen uh, inch wheels, and I thought like, the safety features were not very intrusive either. You know, like they were, they were well done. Yeah. The, the feedback was appropriate. Yeah, the, the, yeah. And, and pilot assist has gotten progressively better over the last several years since the first time I drove it on the, when the new, when the XC90 was new, what, I guess three, four years ago, um, you know, I, I tried pilot assist then and was very unimpressed with it. And, you know, it has gotten progressively better over the last several years. It, each year they seem to, they update the the control and it, you know, it's still not, you know, it, it does some degree of lane centering, you know, on a highway curve, you know, at 70 miles an hour, you know, it's often not necessarily going to stay in the lane. So you do have to keep your hands on the sure. wheel, but it, it, it does a nice subtle job of, 
you know, keeping the car centered in the lane most of the time. Um, you know, so it's not, it's not driving itself, but it's, it's definitely a, doing a good job of assisting. Yes. So, um, you know what, I actually, I'm looking back now and I tried the different drive modes and I found, I found comfort to be the best one. Eco, I wrote that it's, the calibration was unpleasant and shifting gears unexpectedly and unevenly. So I, I didn't stay in eco mm. mode for long at all because it just wasn't a pleasant driving experience. It was it was, it was probably short shifting um, prematurely, you know, trying to keep the engine revs down as low as possible. Okay. And, things like and then that. dynamic mode, it increased the revs but and tightened the steering, but it wasn't a significant difference. And I actually wanted, I had the off road it, and it's just for rough roads, it says, but I would have rather had a, a snow and mud mode. Yeah. And, you know, that's something you find on a lot of newer vehicles now, you know, is a, a snow and mud mode. <clears throat> when you get into deep snow, you know, you, for the traction control, for example, you actually want the wheels to slip a little bit more when you get in deep snow or in sand or, you know, loose dirt, um, you know, because you will get more traction. If it, you know, if you, if the traction control is too aggressive and, you know, tries to stop the wheels from spinning, you can easily end up getting stuck in those kinds of conditions so that those deep, those deep surface um, kinds of modes can help you keep going and keep, keep you from getting stuck in those conditions. Okay. So, I mean, overall though, it was, it was definitely, uh, I liked it a lot, but then we also talked about visibility because the visibility was super narrow. So my brother, Steve, who believe it or not is six foot three, so he and I were driving home and well, he got all the I, height. Well, there was none left for you, right? Everybody <laughs> else in my family is five ten and above, and my two sisters are five nine. But I am not bitter. <laughs> you know what? Small but mighty. Yes, exactly. So moving on. Sorry. So one of the things that we noticed was that the the because the windows are so narrow, the and the belt line is so high the visibility was pretty compromised in it. And I felt like I needed to rely on blind spot monitoring more than in others. And I'll give you a, for instance. So, you know, when you put your, if the window is down and you put your elbow on the, on the top of the door, mm-hmm. I could not like my forearm would not fit in that space. Like the window was <laughs> so narrow yeah, well, I, and I think that's a common problem with a lot of cars. We're starting to see that reverse a little bit, but they they have shrunk the daylight openings, the yes. windows, um, at the sort of the altar of style, and I think probably some um, side impact performance as well. Uh, that's my that the side impact right. thing is my theory. Sure, but, you know, m- metal. That, that is plastic. that is definitely a part of it, but it's also it's also a design trend, you know, that kind of started in the early two thousands, maybe it was even the late nineties. Uh, you know, one of the first cars that really did that was the original, the first generation Audi TT. Mm. And, you know, following that, a lot of other cars, you know, a lot of designers started going in that high belt line direction. So, you know, it was, it was, a, it's a mix of the two, you know, the side impact and, you know, just a design trend right. and that, and both of those, you know, they've started to figure out how to, how to give the side impact protection, you know, without needing such a high belt line. And so on some newer vehicles, we have started to see the belt line start to drop like down again, which is a, a good yeah, thing. Like the, yeah, the yeah. escape so now, is a very prominent so example. Did you, so, so my brother Steve is shorter torsoed, very long legged, and he felt a little bit cramped in it, he said. Like it just, it was, he was aware of the roof. You know what I mean? And so I didn't know if mm. you had felt that at all, Sam. 
I'm I'm kind of the opposite. I'm more long torso. But you would feel it more I, then. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I didn't have an issue with with the roof line. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, it it was fine for me. Yeah, because you're not you're not um, dissimilar but, in size. You know, to to my yeah, yeah I'm like five eleven. Yeah, so he's taller, but but width wise, you're both like about the same size. And okay. Uh, but yeah, he definitely said that he was that it was just it just felt a little cramped for him and you know what i said in my review was that it's not a barrier to purchase but it's just something to be aware of on a test drive like if you're looking for a really open you know a a brighter sort of feel to a vehicle i don't know that this gives it to you as much because i do think those windows are pretty narrow i I right and and this and this is a good reason why you should never ever 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 buy a car without test driving it first yes wow (laughs) Yeah, you know, and 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 when I say never ever, I mean never. never. Don't you know if you have not driven it, don't buy it. Well, and, uh, like that's that's the like the most common advice I give to people when they want to talk about cars. It's like, what what's great? What do you like? I'm like, you know what? What I like doesn't doesn't matter. You need to make a list and go drive the things you like, and it, it the one that you yeah. like the best is the one you should buy. <laughs> right, because you know, I mean, everybody's got different tastes, but also everybody's bodies are are a little bit different. Yes. You know, I mean, everybody's got slightly different proportions. You know, some people have longer arms or shorter arms, longer torsos or shorter torsos. You know, and not every car is shaped the same way. You know, so it this is that's why I say it's really important to actually go drive it and make sure the car really fits you. You know, spend at least half an hour driving it around and make sure that it that you know, you can see out of it and, and that everything fits and is feels reasonably comfortable and, and is easy to access for you. Because if it's not, you know, what's what may seem like small annoyances at first will grow to be very large annoyances later exactly. on. Exactly. So, you know, especially especially if you've spent, you know, 30, 40, 50 thousand dollars on a car. Let's do a podcast on car shopping tips. Yeah, absolutely. Have money. Right. But it's true because there's things. It's an overwhelming experience. It's not positive. You know, you know, you've got to fight with the F and I guy coming up. Like, there's a you know, there's a lot of negative feelings about something that should be a lot of fun and should be a fun process and exciting. And I think that you know, if we can provide some a quick and easy guideline to things to keep in mind, just things to pay attention to, uh, I think that would be a good and interesting show. Okay. Yeah, okay. I agree. We let me hang on. Let me write it down, or I'll forget. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> tell Google Assist. Like a sim. Um, all right. So, yeah. Tell Google Assist. Hey, uh, let's see how many people say, "Hey Google." <laughs> Don't do that. I hate it when people do that on podcasts. Sorry. No, the commercials right. are doing uh, it on Alexa now. Oh wait, there's yeah. an Alexa. But they're not. But they're not supposed to do that either. <clears throat> Alexa, all right. quit. Uh, well, we've we've we've. <laughs> So quick, you just fired off folks. Um, so that's the, the cross country. But Sam, you're also driving the 2020 Hyundai Santa Fe, which um, this is the redesigned Santa Fe, right? That just looks fantastic on the road. Looks like an expensive German car. Yeah, I actually uh, drove the Santa Fe earlier this year as well. So this is the second time I've had it. Um, and, you know, this this is a vastly improved you know, midsize crossover compared to the previous generation. You know, the, the previous generation wasn't wasn't terrible, but it wasn't. I thought, you know, I found it somewhat underwhelming, uh, but this one is so much better, um, you know, in, in every way. I mean, it, it's, it's a good looking vehicle and like, you know, like the other um, Hyundais, you know, this current generation of Hyundais, they have been kind of 
diverging them a little bit more, you know, so that each model, you know, there's, there are some Hyundai specific design cues, you know, like kind of the general shape of the grill. Um, but they, they've been moving them apart more. So each, each one looks more distinct. So, you know, this doesn't just look like a three quarter scale version of the Palisade, you know, and it doesn't look like a scaled up version of a Tucson. Um, but you know, there are some, there are some things that, you know, for example, on their SUVs, you know, they're doing common, you know, there's some commonality across the utilities, like from the Kona to the, uh, the Santa Fe to the Palisade, you know, you have, you know, in the front, you have these slim LED driving lights and then sort of the blocky headlights down below, which, which is actually something that Jeep did kind of first, um, you know, on the, with the Cherokee, yeah. uh, the, the, with the Cherokee a few years back. Yeah. But Hyundai has yeah, mastered it. Their stuff, yeah, like, they, they just look really good. Yeah. You know, it, it looks really sharp. Um, you know, and the, the interior of this thing, you know, is really nice, you know, like, like other modern Hyundais, you know, they've done a, a wonderful job on the cabin. Um, you know, it's, it's much roomier than the previous generation was, especially in the back seat. Um, you know, so what we have now is the Santa, you know, the previous generation you had, you know, the, the Santa Fe sport was the two row. And then they had this, the, just the Santa Fe was a, a sort of a, an undersized three row, you know, longer, but under still undersized three row this time for the Santa Fe, they've gone back to just having one variant of Santa Fe, which is a two row. That's really roomy. And then for, you know, if you want a three row, you step up to the Palisade, which is, you know, proper three row. And you actually have room in that third row seat, you know, for, for actual human beings and, <laughs> and stuff, you know, it, and they've, they've done a, they've done a, a really nice job on this interior. You know, there are some hard plastic surfaces in there, but, you know, overall, the, the stuff that you actually touch and interact with, you know, does, you know, is softer touch and has, has nice, nice finishes on it. Um, yeah. And there's some really nice detailing, like on the, the speaker grills on the doors, you know, they've got this sort of um, diamond, excuse me, diamond shaped prismatic pattern on there. So it's not just a flat speaker grill, you know, it has some texture to it. Uh, you know, and then the, the metal trim pieces across the dashboard and the top of the doors, you know, has some texturing to it. Uh, you know, so I think it, it's, it's a, you know, it's nice to look at, but it's also really nice to drive. You know, uh, the one I, the one I was driving as the, um, 2.4 liter four cylinder. So that's non-turbo, right? That's just, that's a, it's a non-turbo. Yeah. Uh, so it's like 190 horsepower, I think or 188 horsepower, you know, which is, you know, it's not an enormous amount of power, but it's it's more than adequate for, you know, for pretty much any driving. You're not going to use this one, you know, if you're going to be towing heavier trailers. But, you know, for just general commuting, you know, it's a it's a really nice option. You know, it's not, you know, and this thing is not huge, but it's it's very roomy, you know. And the, the eight-speed automatic that Hyundai does is, you know, a really smooth shifting uh, unit. It's got their, um, their stop start system, which works really well. Um, all wheel drive, uh, and Hyundai's driver assist features, their, their lane keeping assist and their adaptive cruise control work really well on this thing. And it's a full, uh, stop, stop, start, uh, or a full stop and go adaptive cruise control system. Unlike the Honda Passport I drove last time, which, you know, that's, that's still an older style adaptive cruise control that cuts off when you get down to below 20 miles an hour. This one, you know, in traffic, you know, it'll bring you to a full stop and then resume again. Yeah. Well, you know, we can, uh, we can talk about the Honda system when we get to my cars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, moving on. 
But uh, yeah, so I mean, overall, you know, the, and you know, aside from the uh, the engine, you know, this one was this was a limited, you know, so this was pretty much loaded. It was all wheel drive. You know, came in at thirty eight thousand five eighty, including the delivery charge. Um, you know, and it it has you know pretty much everything you want in there. You know, including you know wireless charging pad for your phone. The um, the infotainment system, you know, has uh, uh, Android Auto and Apple CarPlay support, and it's just you know it, it's a it's a just a really nice commuter vehicle, you know, if you want, you know, something to, to haul your family or your friends, you know, for, for five people in comfort um, and, you know, have lots of room for gear and stuff in the back. So coincidentally, I actually had the, the Santa Fe limited 2.0 with the, the four cylinder turbocharged. I had that, which has like a couple of weeks ago, a bunch of horsepower. It does. And I had a similar experience in it where it was just one of the, it was just nice to drive. It was engaging. And I remember thinking, you know, I feel like I own this car within a few hours of driving it as opposed to other cars that, you know, we have for a week. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I still don't understand this car, which I kind of experienced with the Acura MDX, which we can get to as well. Um, (laughs) but I just, and and it was, and coincidentally, my cousin asked me about the Santa Fe because she's in the market. She's got one kid and, uh, he's a junior in in high school. And so, you know, he's very active and they've got a lot of stuff to haul around and stuff. And I just told her, I said, it's just a really nice vehicle. It's, it it comes, I mean, the one that I had, like Sam, you know, it was fully loaded, 38,730 delivered. Mine was front wheel drive. So it did not have the all wheel drive capability, but uh, I just remember it being friendly, you know, <laughs> like easy to use, you know. Yeah, there's no quirks right. to it. It just it just works. It just works. That's because they're doing the work. It, they're doing the work to make the cars not just good for, you know, project objectives or, you know, to have something in the market. They're doing the work to make the cars good. Exactly. And it just like period. And, and they just and it just like you just get in it and you're like, I understand this car and it understands me. And I think also I did have the same kind of experience with the interior. There were some hard plastics that I would love to have seen a little upgraded, mostly just because I'm, I feel like I'm so spoiled by that Hyundai Palisade interior. But but overall, it just I just think it's such a good car. There's so much competition in this space, but I just feel like the Santa Fe, I think they really did a, a really, really good job on it. Well, I, you know, do you think that that feeling like, oh, there's these occasional hard plastics and stuff are a little disappointing just because the rest of it looks and feels so premium sure. that you just, you forget that you're in a car that isn't, yeah, exactly. you know, that, that premium. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, we're very spoiled and I also tend to not love black. In- we are definitely yeah. spoiled. Yes. And <laughs> I tend to not love black interiors also. Yeah, me either. I like more contrast. I want something warmer. So, you know, if it's like a, a black on black on black, and then it has that, you know, the tasteful, touches of bright chrome as they call it uh you know that just doesn't really warm me up very much but otherwise you know it looked really nice it just and again it's it's one of those you you don't feel like you're fighting with your car all the time <laughs> i just want to yeah. turn the radio on you know <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to compete with with hyundai uh in any segment that they're in because they're just we could talk about driving dynamics and stuff like that but just in terms of 
average car buyer and, and overall value. They're just really good. They are. And they're, I remember. They're really, yeah. And, yeah and, the, and the base Santa Fe starts at 27,000 delivered. Right. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I remember, um, and I don't know if this still is still true, but several years ago, seeing a presentation and the only, the only company that Hyundai was losing market share to or losing owners to was Kia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, 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 while while Hyundai and Kia marketing executives uh, refuse to acknowledge that they are part of the same company, you know they are the same company, and they're you know the hardware is all the same. You know, there's change, you know, differences in design, you know, and and some of the the feature sets on given models, but they are basically the same vehicles. And you know, if 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 your your toughest competition is yourself, you're in a pretty good exactly. place. Well, they're also they're also very good at. Uh, taking the same set of hardware and making it different character-wise for their different brands. Yeah, um, that, that is but very true. don't forget, true. in yeah. the U.S., they are incorporated separately. And so they are technically competitors. It's only back in yeah, Korea. Well, I mean, the, it all starts with the same tree. Yeah, but- the, the, yeah the, the marketing companies, and this is true, you know, as well for, you know, most of the the foreign brands, is the, the you know, they have, they, they actually have multiple companies that are wholly owned subsidiaries, multiple business units, you know, that, you know, that they have, and this is true for Honda, it's true for Toyota and Hyundai and Kia and, and Nissan, you know, the way the companies are structured, they have, you know, the marketing and sales business, they have an engineering business. So for Hyundai and Kia, you know, it's the Hyundai America Technical Center here in Ann Arbor, um, you know, they have their manufacturing business unit, which is a completely separate business unit, which builds vehicles for both brands. You know, so, uh, you know, the, it's kind of a weird corporate structure, but ultimately they all feed back up into Hyundai Motor Group, you know, along with Genesis as well. They all feed into Hyundai Motor Group, which is the, the company at the top of the right, food but chain. They, but there was executives on both Hyundai and Kia wanted to make it clear to me that they are, they are because they're incorporated oh, yeah. separately in the U.S. specifically. So I think this is a U.S. and Canada issue because well, and the same is true in Europe. Regulatory as well, standards that they can't collaborate, they can't do anything. They have to treat themselves as full competitors, and they actually don't know the specifications of the vehicles that are coming out. Uh, so, like Hyundai didn't know. Or I'm sorry, Kia didn't know that Hyundai was getting the the electric third row seat, things like that, because they're they don't they're not allowed to communicate with each other on things like that in the states. Except, you know, who knows all of that stuff? The guys at, at the tech center I know. That, do, that do engineering for both, both brands. So yes. for all three but brands, say, actually, from, the, for from a marketing well. and sales and yeah. product planning, you know, that are based in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, marketing and sales, they don't ever talk to the tech guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but right. I had a great experience with that vehicle as well. So tell us about something you didn't have such a great experience. Yeah, with. I was gonna say like let's let's move on to to your Beckett, and I, I think the theme for the rest of our garage segment here is that Honda is very good to us, and they put us in their cars. And you had the MDX A spec from Acura. I did. Oh, it sounds like you're, I just reviewed that for Forbes. It went up today. So, um, you know what? Why don't you tell us about your experience? Because my phone is ringing, and I need to <laughs> turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we, we can compare notes. I I like the MDX a lot, uh, especially in A spec trim. Um, I think it looks great. It's very comfortable. This one, like you were saying, how you don't like all black interiors. This one has the solution for that with uh, bright red leather seats with Alcantara centers. Acura does a really nice job 
with their A-spec vehicles. They're just a little tidier. They're a little bit more enthusiast-oriented. Um, they feel good to drive, and they're they're comfortable. They're disciplined. Uh, this is all of those things. I, I think where I had issues with it, um, and it's going to be the same place where you had issues with it, was just the, the ergonomics and the the secondary controls. You know, it's mm. it's really hard to fault the way the MDX goes, turns, and stops. It it uh, it has the v, the the V6 that's 300, almost, almost 300 horsepower, uh, the nine speed automatic, it's efficient. It has a great snarl when you get on it. It has multiple drive modes. It's just, you know, it's really pleasant to be in. It's a good size. It's got three rows. It looks better than the pilot, which is based on, um, and it's very thoughtfully designed for a family SUV user. Uh, the, and we even had snow with it, and it was very short-footed. I was a little concerned because it's it's on those those big A spec wheels with lots of tire. Didn't seem to really slide around much, and it was it was pretty well behaved. So uh, I was I was impressed with that. Um, the problem comes in when you're trying to like operate it. <laughs> like it's got the it, it's an older model for honda now and for for acura as well uh just the architecture overall is just older so it's got the two screens set up with the the screen below and the screen above and one of them has is a touch screen the other one is not and there's a rotary multi-function controller knob and there's some hard switches so if you want if you're using um you know like a phone projection system you can hit the smartphone button and it'll bring it up on the upper screen and then you control it with the knob it's there's a lot of steps to using this thing and uh for stuff like hvac uh all of the buttons are kind of tiny um touch points the 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 only two uh hvac buttons that are actual hard buttons are the defrost and i think that's because legally they must be the rest of it is i in the don't know that the, i don't think that's true oh okay I, that was my assumption is that like you just have to have fast access to the defrost because there's you know there's even a spec for how quickly the system will clear the, the fog off the Cause, windshield because tesla's teslas don't have hard uh buttons for defrost. Yeah, but tesla doesn't follow the rules <laughs> <laughs> that is true but i just figured but, it was I, so I, they I, could okay, say maybe, but we have i seem to recall other vehicles that had the had the defrost in the touch interface so yeah i that may be true um it just struck me as like why would they put some of it here and then the rest of it in there because you don't know where to go as a user you're not sure where the controls you are uh the controls you need are and I, I think that was the biggest issue i had with it and and i spent a week with it uh like you said and you feel like you feel like you get to a point where you have sort of figured it out but it always makes you think so i i think yeah. your learning curve on this car is going to be a long one it's going to be something that you spend a couple of months before you're truly sort of like second nature with it and it still has a lot of steps to get to stuff. Things are buried where they should be right there at your fingertips. And so I think that that goes back to the, the idea of cognitive load. It just makes you think too much. It makes you take your attention off of the road and look at the thing to figure out what the hell you're supposed to do. And the answer to just leave it in auto is okay. That's like a half solution. There are times where you just need to have manual control over it and it should be easy to figure out because usually those times are like when it's snowing and there's a lot of fog on the inside of the windshield and you got to figure out how to get it, like get the heat and the AC up there and, or, or, you know, move the airflow around or something, or one of the other functions like the, the infotainment, you know, the nav, it's not the easiest system to use. And, uh, that, that concerned me. Um, I hope that they're, they're doing better with that. Uh, but I, I'm not holding out a, 
a ton of hope having seen newer systems in newer Hondas not be quite as, you know, refined as they should be. Not not as much of an evolution. But, you know, the driving experience is, is pretty good. The only thing I thought it was a little weird was that there's kind of a delay in some of the things. Like when you shift the transmission from, from you know, park to reverse or park to drive or drive to reverse, like there's a delay where it sits there and thinks about it and then it engages, you know, like, is this thing broken? Like what's, what's going on? Did it ignore me? And then it does its thing. Um, the, the seat that uh, powers back for easy access, you know, entry exit. Um, there's a delay there. You know, you turn the car on and I started adjusting the seat up a couple of times before it then started to do its thing. And it's like, Oh, okay. It's just, there's, there's, it's slow to do that stuff. And I don't know whether that's just how they designed it or if it's older sort of, you know, uh, body control computers or, or whatever. I, I haven't really gotten into it, but it's a, it's a good vehicle. It's stickers. The A-Spec stickers is about 56, 57. Um, you add some packages to it and it, it can get more expensive, but it's, it's a solid driver. I liked driving it. And that was the thing it, there's the soul of a sports car in there was sort of my, my, um, my takeaway. Uh, so if you like driving, you'll like driving it. If you can figure out the rest of the controls, I think you'll come to come to an understanding, but, um, so I've babbled enough. So it, <laughs> so enough about me, Rebecca. What about you? So it's interesting because I I compared it to that it I said that it wasn't as heavy. It was it was heavier than its competitors and it's not as athletic. I felt like I was driving hmm. more of a draft horse versus a thoroughbred. Well, let's define its competitors though. Which which are you comparing it well, to? Well, when I think about I guess I'm I'm thinking about things like the BMW X5 the Audi Q7, the GMC, even the GMC Acadia Denali were the three that I wrote down as vehicles that I've driven that. And and again, it's a combination of drive experience and infotainment and interface experience. I think one of the, when I was talking to somebody, um, cause Honda is very good to us and uh, Sam and I actually attended the Honda Christmas Honda holiday party last week. I, what, what was, kind of discouraging, I think is the best way to put it, was when I talked to one of the Acura people about my experience with the interface, their response was, well, you were only in it for a week. And I contrasted that with that feeling that I had with the Santa Fe that we just talked about, where this vehicle, the Santa Fe welcomed me in. It was intuitive, easy to understand, boom, boom, done. If I heard, pardon from that Acura MDX voice recognition thing one more time, I was going to just scream. <laughs> oh, see, I didn't even bother with the voice oh, recognition. My gosh. That's not, that's not my default sort of control. Well, I did because I couldn't get it to work. Like I, so I picked it up. It was not ideal. So I picked it up from JFK. You know, it was like 1130 at night. It's dark. It's not how you take delivery of a vehicle. I get that. But I ended up driving almost half the way home because I couldn't get the radio to work. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then once I got it on, then I couldn't get I couldn't figure out how to turn the volume down because I couldn't find the switch because it was dark. And so then I finally found the volume switch, which was welcome and was able to turn it down. And then I was and so then over the course of the next couple of days. I tried the voice recognition for things like navigation because it is so laborious to type it in. 
And oh my gosh, all I kept saying, first of all, I thought I was in Delaware. I have no idea why I thought I was in Delaware. It finally figured out that I wasn't in Delaware. And I don't know why that was the default. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then just- It's always interesting to look back in the systems and see where the car may have been. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, really, like, I I don't know if I made a, because sometimes I will- I will videotape. I probably didn't because I was driving most of the time when it was behaving like this. But, you know, it just kept saying, pardon? Pardon? And I'm like, oh my gosh, just go here. So I found, like you, that the whole, it just, it required so much effort to deal with that interface. The two screens was super confusing. You didn't know where to look. You know, it's sort of, it runs that, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, Sam hates, hates touchscreen. I don't mind them. This has both and neither of them are good. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind touchscreens. And I think Sam was probably going to say the same thing. Uh, I don't mind touchscreens if they're well done. The, no, I haven't found one that's really well done. So I just yeah. I, the thing what I like about touchscreens, I don't want to I don't want to go down that tangent, um, is that it's immediate, like the feedback is immediate as opposed to with the dial where you've got to roll and turn and push and pull like, and of course, right now I'm in the Lexus LX570, which is a whole nother issue. Uh, <laughs> but, but to your point too, you know, it's interesting across Acura, there are so many different systems. You know, the NSX yeah. has something that's like at least five or seven years old. And then you've got this one that's kind of in the middle because the MDX, Sam, didn't you say it was due for a redesign soon? Yes, it, it's a uh, new MDX is coming in mid-2020. And then and, so and then the you've got news. that crazy touchpad thing that is an absolute nightmare in the RDX. And, you know, I just, I think they kind of need to get their act together when it comes to this infotainment because there's, there's not, none of them are good <laughs> and I don't know who they're getting uh, as testers, but I haven't enjoyed any of them. Well, you know, it, it's unfortunate, you know, the, the comment that you got from somebody at Honda that, um, you know, that you only spent a week with it, you know, and all of us have spent time in various Acura models over the last several years, you know, so this is not the first time we've been exposed to this exactly. crazy dual screen configuration uh, you know, and it's it's never been a good system. You know, it's never been intuitive. It's never been particularly functional. Right. Um, yeah, you know, and it, I think you know it's it's unfortunate that somebody made that comment. The good news is that there there is an all new MDX coming next yeah. year. You know, the MDX is the oldest vehicle, I think, in the Acura lineup, except maybe the ILX. Mm. Um, but but there is definitely a new MDX and also a replacement for the TLX coming next year. Uh, I was talking to John Akeda, the head of Acura, uh, at the party the other night, and uh, and he said those those are both coming in 2020, and I I expect that the the that they will get the new you know that touchpad system that's in the RDX, and actually I am I am like the apparently the outlier. I actually like that system. I think it works pretty well, um, and it's more consistent and and uh, you know it does it does take a little getting used to, but once you figure it out, I think it does work quite well. I think my um, biggest issue with but, the RDX system, and they may have changed this, but there was no, uh, I couldn't hang up the telephone. I couldn't hang up my phone. <laughs> There's no button on the steering wheel to hang up your phone. On the RDX? On the RDX. I think they changed it because it, it required, it was a two-step motion. 
Uh, yeah, see, that's the problem that I had with with the MDX is a lot of stuff was multiple steps, and it's just like this this yeah. needs to be easy. It does, and you know, I'm I'm surprised though. Like infotainment aside, which I sort of expected wasn't going to be my favorite thing, I'm surprised that you felt that it wasn't really as nimble or light on its feet as the X5 or you know some of those other yeah, traditional SUVs I, that are just way more massive. Because it to me it felt it felt sporty. Really, that's so interesting. Yeah. It just it I don't know. It just sort of felt heavy, and I I do recall the Pilot being even worse in that regard. So it was not as it was not as heavy like the pilot i i was very conscious of driving a seven seater around and i remember saying this on the podcast the pilot was just it drove enormously and i felt like and the so so the i mean obviously with the sh or the a spec all those things are going to be a little bit more athletic i definitely appreciated the acceleration i appreciated that the 9 speed was smoother but i still just felt like I was in a in a larger, a heavier, bigger vehicle. And um, the other thing too that I ran into was that I had to put my foot so far down on the brake pedal to engage the stop start. I thought that was really yeah, bizarre. I think that's a Honda thing. Um, because then we can we can pivot to this one next. But I'm driving the uh, the CRV touring this week, mm. and it that's the way they've figured out their stop start. And it may be from feedback from from user clinics or something where you don't always want it because some stop start systems can be really aggressive. And right. so Honda and Acura have decided like we're going to make that you you need to be more deliberate about it. Yeah, to well, and actually that's, engage it. And I forgot because like you know I I don't know that I. S- I don't stand on the brake pedal all the time. Yeah. I sort of just do it enough to make the car stop. But I actually had to, I, again, I had to think about pushing it in enough to engage the stop start. Cause the first time it happened, I was like, Oh, I didn't even know this car was set for stop start because it had, I, again, I had driven it for a couple of days and, right. and yeah, it, it's just, you know, I mean, I had two Acuras in my twenties. I love these things. I want this brand you know, it's, there's so many good things about it, but it's just frustrating to, to not walk away and be like, wow, that was such a great vehicle. Especially again, there's so much competition in this category. I I think for, for the price, it does what it does pretty well. You know, there's not really a ton of options to add to the A-spec. It's, it does have that little bit more, um, aggressive kind of look and feel whether or not it actually comes through in the driving dynamics. Sure. Um, uh, you know, it sells a lot of X5Ms too. Um, <laughs> yeah. So mine, so mine was 56,295 as tested. Yeah. So that's, that's like, that's list price. Yeah. And like, that, so that I had made a note about the technology package, 5,000 all wheel drive is 2000. Obviously if you need it, if you don't need it, um, those were my two recommendations on packages. And then, um, and then, oh, Acura watch the driver assist system. I thought that was really good though. I had, I did have a good experience with that. It was very non-intrusive, good audio, good haptic feedback. I, uh, that, that was much more of an aid than, uh, you know, than an intrusion. Well, so I was confused by that because I, and this is, I think just the state of the industry, Certainly the haptic feedback, I, 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 you know, you can turn it on and off, but I thought it was also supposed to do lane centering, which I don't think it does. 
Um, no, not not on the Acura. Right. So, but the symbol is the symbol. If, oh, right. You know, in other cars, yeah, that do lane centering. They all use the they all use the same icon yeah. for lane keeping assist, whether it does centering or not. Tip usually if it's centering, there's also usually a steering wheel icon that goes with it. Oh, okay. So you'll get you'll get the lane icon and then a steering wheel added to it. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not a huge fan of their haptic feedback. It's effective because it bumps the wheel. You know, you feel this thump, thump, thump through the, the steering column. Um, I just, it always makes me feel like I got a tie rod in that's about to come apart. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and that's, I kind of skipped over this, but uh, the the last thing I guess I I feel is a demerit for the the MDX is just the the ADAS, the dynamic cruise. And and this is the same with the um Oh the yeah, that was sub it's not good. It's, uh, again, I think it's probably older. It'll actually, so the Acura will do all the way down to a stop and it'll do stop and go traffic, but it's just not smooth. It makes you car sick. And so I was just like, you know what? Forget it. I'll just do it myself. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I've had that. I mean, I do remember distinctly I had, I think the Toyota Highlander and I literally did get car sick using the adaptive cruise. It was like New Jersey stop and go Sunday traffic. And it was a mess. Um, but I also have recently started to hear reports that some of those adaptive cruise controls are actually causing accidents because they're not like I always find I'm always afraid that they're not going to stop in time. And maybe because New York is such an aggressive driving area, but I don't think that's the case. People just zip in and out. They And I feel like the car's not going to stop in time. So, yeah, I, I don't use it. Very well, often. And, that, and the, you know, the thing about adaptive cruise control is it's not going to do full braking. Yeah. You know, it's not going to do, you know, it, it's they're typically limited to about 0.2 to 0.25 Gs of braking, which is, you know, actually what you do, you know, most of your braking is in the range of between 0.2 and 0.3 Gs um or less. And, you know, that's that's what ACC is typically set up to do at most. Usually usually no more than about 0.2 Gs. And, you know, when somebody cuts in, you know, it's off, you know, it may not be break and may not be capable of breaking fast enough to to um avoid a sure. collision. So even when you're using ACC, you do have to pay attention. You know, this you gotta remember this is an assist system. It's not a self-driving Absolutely. system. But that's that's the problem and, though. And this, you know, this is this is true even of a Tesla with autopilot. That's that's as fast as they'll stop with the ACC. And so, you know, you have to be aware, you know, when, if somebody's going to cut in, you got to be watching all the time. Somebody's going to be cutting in. And this is the problem, as you said, with all these systems, it's, it's very easy to become complacent and not pay enough attention, you know, when you're using these systems. Cause you know, the, most of the time they work fine, you know, and then when you get one of those situations, then, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, you, you're in a bad place because uh, the car didn't slow down fast enough. Yeah, well, and they're sold as the. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what the actual sort of the sales technique from the the showroom folks is because they may be sold as, oh yeah, and it'll drive itself in traffic, which is sort of a half truth. They should not be. They should not be doing right. that. And they may not. But, I don't yeah. want to. I I I would like to hear from people who may be in the automotive retail sector and uh, sort of give us a spot check. Like, tell us what what do you as as training? What do you give these these folks? And then do you do you ever like pay attention to what they're actually saying when they're trying to close a sale? Well, do they um, do they use it on a test drive? Yeah. Uh, I would I mean, say probably not. Right? I mean, that would be a good place to try it out. Again, you know, don't spend the 10 minutes and go on the planned route 
that the that the dealer gives you, you've got to get that thing on the highway. You've got to test the acceleration. You've got to test these kinds of things. Drive it in the kinds of places where you're going to drive the yes. car. You know, not not where the where the salesperson wants Listen, you to go. Once you get that you know, dealer go. plate on the thing, just take off for a couple of hours. <laughs> They're not even going to know it's gone. They're off trying to close well, you know, another and, sale. And, yeah, you know, and and that's actually you know the last several times that I've been car shopping, you know, when I wanted to take a test drive, you know, I you know I gave them my driver's license. They took a photocopy of my driver's license. They put a dealer plate on there and said, "Go for it," you okay. know, and they they oftentimes did not ride along, you know, uh, you know, they, they might ask if they want, you know, if they, if I wanted them to come along and if I said, no, you know, they said, okay, fine, you know, go ahead. Yeah. You know, and so if, if you get the opportunity to drive without the salesperson along, you know, absolutely do that, you know, and then ask your questions when you come back, Yeah. you know, so that, that way you can focus on driving in the kinds of scenarios that you drive in to the degree you can, you know, in a half hour or so. And, you know, really evaluate it the way you would use the vehicle. And if you use up all the fuel in it, please, like, put some in it. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a whole other side of horror stories from dealership retail that we can get into. Oh, yeah, yes. I, so um, I, I just briefly touch on the the, um, the CRV Touring because, man, the CRV is really, really good. And especially in Touring trim, it's nice. Uh, infotainment still is not good. Um, I keep grabbing the the passenger side uh, temperature knob, thinking it's a tuning knob because it only has a volume knob. So <laughs> they've still got some work to do on their uh, their infotainment. And it's weird going from the MDX to the CRV because the systems are similar but different. And so again, I'm hunting and pecking for stuff that that was one way in one model and is not that way in this model. Uh, but again. It makes up for it because it's really good to drive and it's a great size and it's very thoughtfully designed. And you know, I love the low liftover height of the uh the the cargo area and the back seat is pretty roomy. You know, the CRV has grown over the years. It's it's just it's a solid choice. I I think that the top two in this segment right now are the RAV4 and the CRV. I drove the escape and I liked it a lot better than the old escape, but it's not I, I was it, it's a third at best here um i i'm disappointed because it should be better but the, the crv and the rav4 are really really hard to beat they're very good is the crv getting a hybrid yes in the uh early part of 2020 because okay, i drove the rav uh, first first sometime in the okay, first I, quarter i drove the rav4 hybrid this summer and that yeah, was me too that was really really good yeah i loved yeah. it and i was like oh man i this is a hybrid yeah. i'm supposed to hate it i'm a car person <laughs> no it was it was and i drove the uh the xse so it's the sportier version of yeah. the rav4 hybrid and it was it was really good they did a nice um, job with that for sure yeah there's a lot of iron to talk about this week to, to say the least yeah first thing on the list um sort of fits that to a t the uh the 2021 chevrolet suburban and uh tahoe were displayed and uh, these portend the new Escalade, which will be coming later, which will be similar but different. Um, but the, there's big changes afoot uh, for these traditional SUVs. Finally, um, internet opinion was mixed. So what do you guys think? Well, I was I was at the reveal and also at a technical background that they did earlier in the day at the, uh, the GM Proving Grounds in Milford. And, you know, GM, you know, has rolled out, you know, their new full-size pickup trucks over the last year and a half, the Silverado, Chevy Silverado and GMC Sierra. And now they're, they're finishing it up 
Yeah, and they've done the the heavy duties earlier this year, and now they're rolling out the the full size utilities, which are uh, remain you know the best selling full size utilities on the market. Um, you know, so they started with Chevrolet uh, next month out in uh, what Colorado or vale. Wyoming or something. It's, vale, yeah, yeah. Vale. They're gonna show off the uh, the new Yukon. Um, and and I then know, uh, right? <laughs> and then at the beginning of February. Uh, in uh, in Hollywood, they will be showing off the uh, new Escalade, and you know these, you know, like past versions of the uh, the Suburban and Tahoe, and, you know, the other utilities, you know, these are derived from the pickup trucks, but you know, this time they have diverged further than they have in the past, you know, and the the big change is they're finally putting an independent rear suspension system uh, on these on these big SUVs, which means you know that. The the knock on the the GM SUVs, full size SUVs, you know, over the past decade, uh, compared to the Expedition and Navigator, has been you know the third row seating, uh, you know, which was uh, not good, right? You know, because you had you still had a live axle in there, which means you know when you've got a solid rear axle, you know, because the differential is moving up and down along with the wheels as you go over bumps and stuff you have to give it more clearance. So that means that the rear part of the floor pan has to be curved up, you know, to go over that, you know, to give it that, give the axle that clearance. When you go to an independent rear suspension, you know, the differential no longer moves. You're only moving at the ends, you know, at the, at the wheels. And so you can have a much lower, you know, the, the, lo- the rear uh, floor of the cabin can be several inches lower. So now instead of having a seat that's mounted basically right on the floor, you know, and you sitting with your knees up, uh, you know, as you were in the previous generations of, of these vehicles, now you have a much more natural seating position uh, in that third row. And on top of that, you know, they GM has also made them several inches longer. So they've stretched the wheelbase, stretched the overall length, um, you know, and particularly in the Tahoe, you know, that third row in the Tahoe is now actually for the first time actually really usable by adults. I climbed back there. You know, and it was, you know, I only sat in there for a few minutes, but it, it was much more comfortable to sit in, much easier to get in and out of than it ever has been in the past in a Tahoe. Um, and then, you know, the the other one of the other big changes, um, you know, relative to the pickup trucks is that they've also adopted GM's new electrical architecture. Uh, they're what they call their their digital uh, vehicle platform which, uh, you know, includes new cybersecurity features, but it also includes the ability to do over-the-air software updates. And the the pickup trucks will probably be getting this when they do a mid-cycle update, probably sometime in 2021. Um, but, you know, they, they, wrote, they, they debuted this on the Cadillac CT5 and CT4 and on the, the C8 Corvette. Uh, and it, it's this new electrical architecture is going into all of their new vehicles going forward. Um, which, which, as I said, means you'll be able to get over-the-air software updates to almost all the systems in the car, um, and uh, you know it it, ha- it also supports capabilities that weren't possible before, like uh, being able to go electric and and do other things. And you know, at some point, we will probably see an electric version of these SUVs because they're doing an electric version of the pickup truck as well. Uh, so it's it's going to be. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch, you know, what sorts of features they bring um, with the uh, the suspension in, in the Suburban and Tahoe. Um, they're offering three different variants. You know, there is the base coil spring and passive 
damper system. The mid-level retains the coil springs, but adds the MR dampers, the magnetorheological dampers. So these are the active dampers that the fluid in the dampers actually has um, magnetic particles in it. So, you know, and they use uh, a magnet on either end of the damper. You know, when you energize that, it aligns those magnetic particles and changes the viscosity of the fluid. So you can go from a nice soft plush ride to, you know, really tight, you know, controlled, well-controlled uh, ride for better handling. And it can do it instantaneously. And then the top end has a four-corner air spring set up with the MR dampers. And we had a chance at Milford to go for a ride. We didn't get to drive, but we went for a ride around the, the ride, ride and handling course at Milford, back-to-back uh, -back against uh, the Navigator, against the Expedition. So we went in the Expedition with its adaptive damper system against the Tahoe with the, the air springs and MR dampers. And, you know, the difference in ride quality and handling capability between the two was pretty dramatic. You know, the, the control, the body control in the, the Tahoe was so much better. You know, the, the, the road, the, the track we were on, you know, has a lot of varying road surfaces. Uh, you know, they use it for, you know, for evaluating the, the ride quality and the handling of the, of the vehicles, you know, so you've got things like going over railroad tracks, you know, different kinds of bumps and potholes. Um, and, you know, in the expedition, you know, over various surfaces, you know, you could feel your head, you know, bouncing, you know, shaking back and forth as, as the, the whole body of the vehicle was moving around. Um, and the Tahoe was so much better controlled, was so much smoother. And, you know, we did one lap in the, the expedition, then a lap in the Tahoe at the same speed, and then a second lap at 20 miles per hour faster. Wow. And, yeah, and, <laughs> you know, this this thing is at least from a driving dynamics standpoint looks set to be the class of the field in big SUVs. Wow! So when you say it's on the fly, can you? Is there like a knob or like can you? Can you just change no, it's, it? No, it's how does it's that all, work? It's all it's all automatically controlled. So there's sensors, there's accelerometers on the on the suspension. Okay. Um, that measure the 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 body motions and measure the the wheel motions. And, you know, it will, and, you know, based on your speed and, um, you know, steering angle and, and, you know, using the, uh, accelerometers that measure longitudinal and lateral and, and, um, uh, vertical motion, you know, it will automatically adjust those dampers on the fly as you go. And if, I mean, this is, this is not new technology that, you know, uh, this was actually invented at GM back in the late 1980s. Uh, it was actually first used in production by Ferrari. Uh, in the late nineties. Wow. Uh, and, you know, since then it's been used on a number of other brands and it's been used on a lot of GM vehicles. Um, you know, a lot of Cadillacs have it a lot, of, you know, the Corvette has had it for a long time. They've had it on Camaros and, and other GM vehicles. So it's used on, it's quite widely used. Uh, GM actually, it was invented at Delco when it was part of GM. And then it was sold off when, when Delphi was divesting a bunch of businesses uh, in the late nineties and early two thousands after it was spun off from GM. Um, so it's an independent, it's actually owned by a Chinese company now, but it's, it's really good of technology. I was yeah. thinking the same so, thing. It's, it's, uh, it's owned by BWI, uh, Beijing West <laughs> industries, but, so, uh, but it works. Well, I'm looking forward to this because I have to say that I've had really pretty positive experiences in this vehicle, uh, in this, this whole platform of vehicles. And, you know, it was funny, uh, back in October, uh, a friend of mine who is about my same size and she's got two or three kids and 
she I saw her getting out of this giant Chevy Suburban. I'm like, what are you doing in that thing? And she said, I know. She goes, but I absolutely love it. She goes, I hated it when I first got it. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And she goes, now I absolutely love it. And, you know, she said it, just, it, tow, you know, it tows what they need to tow. The kids can pile in and out of it. It can take abuse. I mean, she just loves it. And I'm I'm really glad to hear that that third row is now going to be more usable as well. So I'm going on that GMC event uh, in in January, I think it is. Uh, and so that'll be an interesting thing to see if it's uh, comparable because I wasn't able to attend the Chevy one. But they haven't had well, the drive, though, yet, right? It was just the reveal. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, they they just did a ride along, so we got to you know ride shotgun in right. the in the Tahoe, but uh, we didn't get to drive. You know, from a right. business we, standpoint, gonna... I'm sorry these oh, no, these vehicles are so critical to GM from a business standpoint because they make a lot of money on them, and there's really not a lot of them, you know, available anymore. So I'm glad to see that they're you know they're going head to head with something like the Expedition, uh, because that that's a very viable candidate as a direct competitor. Well, yeah, what I was surprised to see during the presentation was that, you know, the the GM trucks, you know, are about 55% market share combined between the Chevy, the GMC, and the Cadillac. They're about 55% of the market for um, full-size SUVs. Um, the Expedition and Navigator are second, you know, combined, they're about 30%. Um, but what really surprised me was the, the Nissan Armada is 9% of that what? market segment. I, well, I was surprised wow. that they sell that many. I like the Armada. I mean, I like the QX80 better, but um, that's funny that they sell that much. Uh, although when you start to look at it, right, the Armada, I bet, is really price competitive compared to for sure uh, the the Tahoe or the Expedition or the Suburban. Um, well, and a so lot that, of it is that. towing as well, you know, like the capabilities. Yeah. Uh, that Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, I... I'm just con- I'm concerned because I don't know that I have the best barometer for uh, evaluating these trucks and SUVs because I really liked that GMC uh, Sierra that I was in uh, a few weeks ago, and it took an absolute shellacking from uh, Car and Driver when they did a test of the three uh, sort of full size pickups uh, or the the uh, maybe it's more than three maybe they had the the Tundra in there as well, um, but it it did not finish well they said it just didn't feel up to the task the the ford and the the ram did you know the ram certainly has a a nicer interior it's a lot heavier slower but it just felt better finished and the driving dynamics were better they they said that makes me concerned that i'm going to be impressed with something that's not actually (laughs) market competitive and you know they did the interiors over on these and they look they look good yeah, um, the, yeah. it's a much nicer than than any previous generation GM trucks. Yeah, I w- I like the GMC Sierra a lot, and I love that multi the multi gate tailgate thing, multi pro tailgate. I liked that Sierra. I I was on the launch, and I thought it was fantastic. I spent all day in it, and really really enjoyed it. And I thought and and I thought the di- the driving dynamics were good on it. Again, it drove smaller than it looks. I felt like yeah. that, you know it was it felt athletic. I mean, I haven't. I haven't driven the F-150. I've got the Ram 1500 right now, uh, which is, I mean, it's also, it's just a lot of fun. It's such a beast. Isn't but... that a lovely interior? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, that, that cabin is so oh, nice. The interior is, it, it's gorgeous. Yes. 
uh, and my brother Larry, who is taller than my brother Steve, uh, he's driving it uh, over Christmas break, and he and he loves it. He he said it's a he's having a hard time finding parking spaces for it, and I told him that was even the short bed. Uh, yep. but, <laughs> but no, I I think that. You know, Dan, I think sometimes that there's almost a bias still against GM, but it's hard to compete with them in this platform. I feel like it's just they just do such good product. Yeah, I I like what they've done with their trucks. And so if that sort of provides the path forward for the the SUVs, you know, they're going to they're going to be quiet. They're going to be comfortable. They seem to have a lower seating position, so they feel a little bit more car like you feel a little bit more nestled in it than just sitting on it. Uh, which is is kind of nice from a driver perspective. You sort of feel like you feel like there's a touch of Camaro there um, in 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 the big trucks. It's <laughs> just like the way it drives. It feels like you're you're enveloped in it, uh, which I liked. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see that they are they're sort of the money maker for GM to a large degree. So they have to be good. And I, from what I've seen, they are. Yeah, so there's I'm, well, yeah, there's an, you know, a nice athletic and, feel to them. I think. And, you know, I mean, GM has acknowledged, you know, openly acknowledged that, you know, they need to sell a ton of these trucks and SUVs, you know, over the next several years to finance all the stuff they're doing in electrification um, and, and automation. You know, I mean, there's many billions of dollars of investment going into that side of the business. And, you know, it's, it's investment in products that probably isn't going to be very profitable for the foreseeable future. Uh, and so, you know, they need these products, you know, to keep the business afloat because unlike a certain Palo Alto based company, you know, they can't just go out and sell more stock, you know, every time they need some, need to replenish the, uh, the cash flow. <laughs> yeah. That, that kind of stock pumping scheme scheme stopped a long time ago for, for GM. Yeah. And then the Escalade's going to come out. When does that come out? Like March? February, uh, February 4th is the yeah. reveal. Um, and it's, it's going to be, you know, right before the Oscars, you know, so they're going to oh. show it to us, you know, on that Tuesday night in, uh, in Beverly Hills. And then, um, that Sunday, that following Sunday, when the Oscars are on, they'll be using it to, uh, shuttle the, the, the beautiful people around, uh, right. to, you know, to the red carpet, you know, that, so let's talk about Cadillac. That seems okay. like a mistake because that's not who they, I, that just seems dumb. I mean, I guess it gets the Escalade on TV, which is fine, but man. Well, you know, the, the, the Escalade in particular, you know, is a vehicle that is very popular with wealthy people. Um, you know, they, they like it because it's big and roomy, you know, and, uh, you know, it's got lots of creature comforts. Uh, you know, it's, you know, it, it's popular for, you know, black car uh, services. It's popular, you know, among, you know, basketball players and, and, um, you know, act, you know, people in the entertainment industry, you know, as, as an alternative, you know, to, you know, in the past where they might've been, you know, driven around in stretch limos, you know, which now, are disgusting. God, stretch right. limos are the worst, you know, <laughs> now, you know, you get into, you know, into the long wheelbase Escalade, you know, and it's, you know, the same kind of thing, but you know, it's, you know, it, it, it's something that, unlike those vehicles that were those limos that were often hacked together and you know usually not very good, you know, it's a much more solid vehicle. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll buy that. Poor Cadillac. They don't. <laughs> uh, so you went, you went to the uh, the business update lunch with Steve Carlisle and their new CMO, and 
So you learned a few things, Sam, about what Cadillac is going to be doing. Uh, the one that stuck out to me was like, now that they've gone all alphanumeric, they're going to spend they're the next back. five years going back to names. <laughs> yeah. And so I, they're I, like, are they going to use legacy names or are they going to use? They, like, they haven't said uh, exactly what the names are going to be, but they, you know, they are going to starting as they start to launch, as they launch their electric vehicles in the next couple of years, um, they are going back to real names. So, I mean, the Escalade, you know, has always been the one, one exception that never went to an alphanumeric name. It always kept its, its name. And they haven't said what the names are going to be, but starting with the launch of their electric crossover, everything following that is going back to uh, uh, some sort of name uh, that, that is more than just uh, XT or CT in some digit. Please, uh, for the love of God, use like the old names, not because I Fleetwood and yeah, not, and not because I'm like some DeVille. sort of nostalgic like uh, you know person, but those names exist already. Like they're out there. You you will <laughs> yeah. spend less for to better, reestablish them. Right, exactly. <laughs> could, yeah, Truck Deville or whatever. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're gonna call it, but like you got. Please, for crying out loud, don't. Don't try to come up with some name that sounds like a prescription medication and then like you've got to establish it. Uh, you're going to just waste time and money. Just yeah, please make a Fleetwood. Like wouldn't wouldn't the CT6 be a great Fleetwood? Uh yeah, I think yeah. so. Except the CT6 is going away. Well, I know so. it's going away. Okay, so the XTS. Oh, that's also going away. <laughs> what are they, they left with? The XT6. CT5 and sure. CT4. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if we're gonna get another bigger sedan to replace the CT6. Well, they but... can just call it the 60 Special. Sure <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, speaking of the CT5, uh, they have started. They finally started deliveries of that car to dealers in the last couple of weeks. So that's you know that's showing up in dealerships now. So now um, that's the hatchback, the, right? Or the the not no, maybe, it's a sedan. Um, the sedan. It's a replacement for the CTS. Okay, so it's just because there's the CT4. It's a little smaller, right? And that right. sort of. Bridges the gap between ATS CTS. It gets a little bigger than the ATS, a the, little smaller. This the CT4 is actually almost exactly the same size as the ATS. I am so confused by their lineup. <laughs> <laughs> well, hence the change to, uh, to names. Yeah. Um, so the CT4 and CT5, and then you've got the XT4, XT5, XT6, and Escalade for the utilities. Um so the the CT4 is is in dealerships now. The CT CT5 is in dealerships now. The CT4 will be in dealerships in the next couple of months. Um, and the XT6 is already on sale, has been on sale for several months now. Uh, they apparently sold about 4,300 of them in, uh, in the third quarter. Um, the, you know, one of the big bits of news, you know, from, from Steve was that um, starting with the CT5, you know, with each new model that's introduced, you know, a few months after the launch of the base models, they will be adding Super Cruise on everything, you know, as, as an option for everything. Which they should have done like two years uh, ago. Uh, yes. Well, well, the reason they didn't do it before was because they didn't have the new electrical architecture ready. You know, when they when they did the CT6, uh, you know, they they had to make a lot of modifications to that car, to you know, to the electrical system in order to accommodate uh, Super Cruise. And it wasn't real, you know, they couldn't really do things like over the air updates to, to keep it up to date. So with this new electrical architecture that I mentioned, you know, that's on the Tahoe, um, you know, it's also on, you know, on the CT5 and four and, and everything else going forward, 
they will have the ability to do those updates on a regular basis, um, you know, and add new features to it. So now that they have that in there, it's a lot easier to integrate Super Cruise, and they will be adding things like auto lane change capability and um, you know more, you know, the ability to operate in, you know on more roads, you know, expanding the the maps um, and and you know various other features that uh, that are needed for that system, and you know so that. You know, that'll come out probably in the spring for the CT5, sometime in mid-summer for CT4. Uh, it'll be on the Escalade, you know, by the end of the year. You know, the Escalade's going to launch mid-year. By the end of the year, it'll have Super Cruise available. And, you know, they, they actually released a teaser earlier this week uh, for the Escalade. Uh, you know, that it was a, a, a shot. It was a, a GIF of the, uh, the interior, the instrument or the steering wheel and the instrument panel. Yeah, you know, and you could see the, the Super Cruise light bar on the steering wheel, but you know they also had this massive 38-inch OLED display behind. You know, for for this that you know this one big display. Uh, it's not clear if it's actually one or if it's two pieces, but it's 38 inches of OLED display for the center stack and the uh, the instrument cluster. Well, is that know, the one that's that's curved too? Like, didn't they? Yeah, it's a yeah. curve. It's a curved display, so presumably curved towards the driver, so you can actually uh, reach it. Um, yeah, see, yeah, I think that actually, like, I'm glad that it's organic LEDs, so that they mm -hmm. can actually get like true black out of it. You know, like the pixels, act, uh, the little elements light up instead of having a backlight, which I think is right. if you're going to do screens, that's the way to do screens, so that there's not as much light pollution in the cabin and then being able to curve it and stretch it like that i think that actually has a lot of really good automotive applications uh, allows them to sort of fit things into the space available better than dealing with flat screens um so that, that'll be interesting we'll see how much i hate that <laughs> <laughs> so sam i don't mean to backtrack a little bit but i i do have a question did they say when they were going to start transitioning names uh yeah so the that first ev the the one they showed the uh, the rendering of uh, last January at the uh, Detroit Auto Show, that's coming in 2022. So that'll be the first model that has. So we're still two years away from that. Okay. Uh, before they start introducing names. And, you yeah, know, that'll be actually that uh, there will be a Cadillac electric crossover actually launching in China in 2021. Um, and. But that will be a different, it'll be on the same platform, but it'll be a different body, different vehicle from the one that we get. Uh, okay. So we get one in 22. There will be one launching in China in 21, um, around the same time that the, uh, the, the electric pickup truck launches here. Mm. So in the second half of 21. Um, so it's not clear which one is going to launch first. Uh, but then the, the Cadillac will launch in the first part of 22, and that'll be the first one that actually gets a name, and then everything after that. And one of the one of the comments from from Carlisle uh, was that you know as uh, as as we enter the 2020s as a, an ICE brand, internal combustion engine brand, the brand will exit as a battery electric vehicle brand. And he called uh, the 2020s the end of the ice age for Cadillac. And you know so expects that by 2030, um, most if not all Cadillacs will be electric. All right. Okay. I, and, and, and another <laughs> another another comment he had as well was um, about uh, um, he, he said that 300 mile range for an EV is table stakes. 
you know, in the in the EV market for now. sure. And, I don't, yeah, and, I don't and Cadillac was actually aiming for 400 miles for for all their vehicles. Wow. So what what we won't see when Cadillac finally launches their EVs is we won't see anything like the Audi e-tron or the Porsche Taycan, you know, or the Jaguar I-Pace coming to market with like 200 miles of range when you know when Tesla is selling cars with 300 to 370 miles of range. Well, I don't know. Let's talk about classic GM product rollout. Um, which we're still seeing, like, why, why don't we have super cruise on stuff? Oh yeah. We, we couldn't actually do that on most of the cars. We're going to try to sell you. Um, that's going to be on one very specific model. That's going to be expensive that nobody's going to buy. Like that's just classic GM thing all, all the way back, like for decades, they've been like, yes, this is going to be the best one. It's going to have all of these features. It's going to have the, you know, uh, the, the Z, what is it the z51 suspension or whatever and, and like they do this thing where they'll introduce a model and then they'll get some of them like look at the base models or the base and mid-level ones out as soon as they can and then you wait a year for the the one the really good one that they really want you to drive but then all of your impressions have been made on the one that you could drive not the one they want you to drive and it sinks the model like I, so i hope that that's not what they do <laughs> As as they roll out electric uh, vehicles, we're like, yes, yeah, so the base model gets 250 miles of range. Um, but we, you know, if you spend enough to get the big battery, you get 400. Like, yeah, my my guess is that, you know, when they start rolling these out, rolling these Cadillacs out, the base models are going to be 300 miles and then 400 miles is the option. You know, so I, I think, I think that they have seen the challenges that, you know, that brands like Audi and Porsche and, and uh and jaguar have had uh this past year and they've decided they don't want to be in that position especially since they're not launching until 2022 you know it would be crazy for them to launch something at that stage you know that has such a short range yeah Yeah. i mean you you can be late to the party but you got to have the best dress on then well that's a good one uh but you're 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 never going to change perception you know this is the problem that audi is, is having now it's like okay fine it's rated at 201 miles how many more do you need it doesn't doesn't matter that people really only need like 40 miles yeah, it's, a day it's 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 not yeah it, it's not about you know the reality you know the, as we know you know car buyers are not rational you know they don't they don't make <laughs> they don't make decisions they don't make purchase decisions based on rational criteria Said with they love. base it on what they what they think they're going to need and you know that and when it comes to evs they you know they want you know 300 miles of range you know, they want to have the same kind of range they get out of their gas car. Which, like, that's not terribly unreasonable, especially when you consider the the amount that they cost. It's like, well, why can't it do what that thing just did, you know? And I, I realize there's lots of answers for it, but at the end of the day, they're the ones that spend the money. So, um, yep. yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, so, you know, Cadillac, I, I, hope they, I hope they make it. I hope they pick good names. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing on the list is the Mazda CX-30, which is interesting because it slots in between the uh, CX-5 and the CX-3, right? It's like right in there. It's a little bigger than the CX-3, a little smaller than the CX-5. It's a Goldilocks. Sort of. The, it's kind of like just a Just the right size. Yeah. So uh, what's what's the story with this thing? Fill, fill me in. You want to go first, Rebecca? Yeah, sure. So, so – I really liked this vehicle. I mean, I, it, 
it does it, it kind of it slots in between the two so it's a little bit it's a little bit bigger than the cx3 it's a little bit smaller than the cx5 i think speaking of names i think the naming convention may be a little confusing for consumers uh but overall you know i drove it uh, last week ten, two weeks ago now in um southern california and it was a lot of fun to drive you know i it's it's sporty and fun and, you know, kind of does those things well. It was very comfortable over, uh, you know, several hours. And my passenger actually made a point of commenting on how comfortable it was, uh, a fellow journalist. And, you know, I think that it's 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 good that it is bigger than the CX-3 for this U.S. market. I don't know. I feel like it might be a little small for some people. Like, I guess. I don't know. I feel like that CX-5 is such a good size that I don't know why this is completely necessary. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, price point is 28.2 as tested, which was the premium. It starts at 21.3. Uh, it's got a 2.5 liter four cylinder, 186 horsepower. So, you know, it did a lot of things really well. I mean, it's a direct competitor to that CRV and RAV4 that we talked about earlier, uh, you know, and you can certainly see the attention to detail and the interior, you know, it was, it was very, very nice. It's got some nice, it's got some nice, uh, more luxurious features like a heads up display, a power rear lift gate standard uh, in the fully loaded premium. I, uh, you know, so it does a lot of those things really well. It does not have a touch screen. Just, oh, it has you know, that controller thing that's on the, the does, console, right? Yes. Which you hate. I didn't love that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again, I think it's it's a really, really good vehicle. Actually, in my review, I have a little chart uh, to understand, like, where it slots in between the CX-3 and CX-5. But, Sam, you had mentioned, I think, that you thought that the CX-3 might go away. My my guess is that a year from now, the CX-3, you know, for now, the CX-3 remains on sale in the U.S., but it's never been a huge seller in this market. You know, when when I was at the LA Auto Show, I had a chance to sit down with the, the program manager uh, for these vehicles, and, uh, you know, they explained that um, when they developed the CX-3, you know, it, it launched back in 2015, when they were developing it, you know, the, the main vehicle in that segment of small crossovers um, was the Nissan Juke. Mm. And so they, they used the Mazda 2 as the base, the base platform for the CX-3. And for the U.S. market in particular, you know, it, it's, it sells reasonably, reasonably well in Japan and in Europe. But for the U.S. market in particular, it turned out to be too small. You know, they, they, you know, they weren't quite sure where the market for these subcompact utilities was going to go. Uh, at that time. And so they, you know, they used what they had at, at that time. And, uh, you know, here, you know, it sells about 13, 14,000 units a year, uh, which is, you know, pretty, pretty minimal compared to a lot of the smaller utilities, you know, like the, uh, the Honda HRV and Jeep Renegade and, and, you know, even the Ford EcoSport. And, you know, because of its size, you know, the C the CX three, you know, drives well. It's got good driving dynamics, but it's got some, you know, it's got a very cramped back seat and it's got some, you know, less than ideal uh ergonomics in the in the front. Like for example, you know, the the um cup holder, you know, in the center console is below the center armrest. So you actually have to fold up the center armrest to 
access the cup holder, you know, which, which is, which is not great. Um, so, you know, I, I would guess that, you know, the, and with the CX 30, they opted to, um, develop it from the Mazda three platform, the new Mazda three platform, and they developed it concurrently with the new three, you know, so there was a lot of stuff that they were able to do, um, you know, incorporate into that architecture design, you know, from the beginning, you know, so there's fewer modifications required to that, you know, to make the CX-30 out of that vehicle. And, you know, it's, a, it's a, I think it's a much better size, particularly for the U.S. market, but generally, you know, everywhere, I think it's, it's a more reasonable size. You know, it's fairly compact on the outside. It's basically the same size as, as an HRV or, you know, some of the other uh, top vehicles in the segment. Um, but I think, you know, when you compare it to anything else in that segment, you know, the interior is so much better. You know, it's such a much nicer place to spend time For sure. uh, than anything else in that segment. And, you know, it drives really well. You know, it's got the typical really good Mazda driving dynamics. Um, it also, you know, the only engine available in North America is that 2.5 liter with 186 horsepower, which makes it the most powerful vehicle mm-hmm. in the segment uh, by a pretty good margin. You know, the HRV, you know, for, you know, as nice as it is in a lot of ways, you know, the powertrain and the HRV really lets it down, you know, the combination of that, that older 1.8 liter, 140 horsepower and the CVT, you know, it just doesn't really cut it in that vehicle. Um, you know, and most of the other competitors in that segment are in that 135 to 145 or so horsepower range. So this is significantly more powerful than the, the competitors. You know, it's got, you know, it's got a decent amount of room inside, you know, the front's great. You know, the rear is, is fine for a couple of adults. Uh, you've got enough cargo space in the back that, you know, you can put four carry on bags in there. You know, if you stand them up on their sides, you can put four in there. Um, so, you know, I, I, and you know, we've talked in the past, you know, at times, particularly with the CX five about, you know, the value proposition with Mazdas, you know, as they've tried to go more premium, you know, this one, that's, not an issue at all, I think, for this car. I would agree. You know, starts at starts at twenty one three, and especially compared to what I'm driving right now, I have the the Mitsubishi Outlander Sport mm-hmm. right now, um, which we'll talk about next time. But the Outlander Sport GT that I'm driving, you know, with the two point four liter, um, you know, it's you know like twenty eight and a half thousand dollars, and with the feature set that it has on it, you know, the comparable CX thirty, you know, and this is a pretty much loaded Outlander. The comparable CX30 would be the mid-level trim, the CX30 Select. It's like two thousand dollars cheaper than that Mitsubishi, and it's like twenty years that, newer. That, C- <laughs> that CX30 is such a much nicer car to drive yeah. than the Mitsubishi. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's just no contest at all. So you know, I think that you know, uh, you and I drove uh, on. Uh, subsequent days, I, I drove right. on the first wave, Rebecca, you drove second day, you know, so I drove from Palm Springs to San Diego, you drove from San Diego back the other way. Um, and, you know, those roads that we drove on, you know, going through the mountains from Palm Springs to San Diego, I mean, that's some twisting mountain right. roads. And, you know, I mean, this thing's got really great steering feel, um, you know, no body great, roll. Ride, great ride quality, yeah. yeah, good body control. Uh, you know, it's, it's a fun little car to drive. The, the only issue I would take with it, 
from a design perspective, I like the overall shape of the body. I think the the cladding on the wheel arches is a little too thick. Oh yeah, you had mentioned that. I thought that was a really interesting I mean, visual. To, to me, for yeah, sure. to me, it, it it seemed to overemphasize, you know, and particularly you know with the the gap to the wheels, I think it you know kind of maybe overemphasized that a little bit. I. I personally would make that a little slimmer, but you know, that's a matter of personal taste. You know, I think overall the Mazda design team has done a great job. Um, you know, so I think it's, it's a excellent little, excellent little uh, crossover. I agree. And I like the price point a lot. Cause I have, I have at times given Mazda a really hard time, particularly about that CX five. I, I, I agree. And just looking at some stats. So just to give people an idea, so the CX-3 has a cargo volume of about just over 12 cubic feet. Um, that's with the second row in place. And the CX-30 is 20 cubic square feet. The CX-5 is 30 cubic square feet. So it really does give you a really nice amount of room. And even though it's only, it's about two inches wider than the CX-3, um, but it's about five inches longer and the wheelbase is about three inches longer. And so that's also going to give you a more stable, solid feel because you're right, Sam, those, those twisty roads, you know, I remember being really comfortable in them. And as I said, my driving partner, Alan Taylor, he was remarking on just oh, Alan, Taylor. Alan Taylor, I know. Right. <laughs> and he was, you know, remarking how, you know, every piece of his perfect hair stayed in place. So it was, <laughs> <laughs> Alan's so good on the radio though. I I like Alan. I love him. I was it was a privilege to drive with him. So, you know, and again, it's that feeling of like when you get out of the car, do you feel refreshed? Do you feel like this car was easy to be in, easy to drive with? You know, all those things I thought were really a really really positive experience. And especially, you know, I remember driving the HRV a while ago now. And it's sort of, you know, you're you always have that feeling that you're in a, in a subcompact car, right? You don't have that feeling of being in a premium vehicle. Whereas I think in the Mazda, the CX-30, I really felt like I was in a premium vehicle. Yeah. The, and the HRV is, I think that's getting old now too. So. Yeah. And I, I actually haven't driven an HRV since it first launched like four years ago now. Yeah. Something like that. That same here. It's yeah, been a while. I think I drove I, it I two it years ago, maybe. Maybe it could yeah. have even been three years ago. It's been a while. So I think you're right. You're probably right. Uh, CX-30 is the uh, death knell for the CX-3, which is probably fine. <laughs> yeah, at least at least in the North American market. You know, I think that they'll keep the CX-3 overseas. But I think here, you know, it, it's at the point where it just doesn't make sense anymore. I think that probably wraps us up. We've put a solid, meaty podcast together here. So thanks for listening. You know where to find us. We are at WheelBearingsCast on Twitter. Uh, you can send us an email, feedback at wheelbearings.media, and uh, we'll catch everybody next time. Bye. Bye.